Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. We've timed this episode to coincide with Canada Day 2020, and it's a Canada Day like no other. Even in lockdown, Canada is a remarkable country. Nowhere in the world have 38 million people done what Canadians have done and done more for the world. And we're just getting going. But what if that world isn't so welcoming anymore? When the crisis began, the Canadian government desperately worked to get Canadians home, which maybe symbolized the greater retreat we've all become part of. It would be folly to let that become the norm. We're too small to get by on our own. And Canadians tend to be too open-minded and curious and outgoing to stay at home forever. Over the last 153 years, millions and millions of Canadians have gone to every corner of the world and been part of pretty much every major initiative. We were there at the birth of Hollywood, and we were there at the birth of modern China. We helped launch the global movement for human rights and masterminded the creation of peacekeeping. In the 21st century, when it comes to technology and innovation, you'll find Canadians everywhere. There are two to three million Canadians living, working, and studying outside our country and 10% of them are in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley. I've spent a lot of time with Canadians around the world, and especially in Silicon Valley, and have written a book called Planet Canada, which Penguin Random House is publishing this fall. It explores our expat population, our diaspora really, and how they can be our best strategic asset in the 2020s. This kind of diaspora strategy is how many countries, Israel and Singapore and India, for instance, are taking on the world in a more networked and digital age. No better group and more positively epitomizes this opportunity than the C100, an association of Canadian expats in the Valley who for the past decade have helped build Canada's tech ecosystem there and here and put us on the global map. The C100 has taken on our national challenge and helped drive policy changes, develop talent streams and connected Canadian entrepreneurs with the world. They are Planet Canada and we'll need a lot more like them in the years ahead. Laura Bueller is executive director of the C100. She's a Calgarian who's worked in global management consulting, African development, and American startups. Talk about a Canadian resume. Andre Tarou is co-chair of the C100. He's from Markham, Ontario, and was one of the first 25 employees at Uber. He's a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist, and now runs his own investment firm, Maple VC. Laura and Andre, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thank you so much for having us, John. Thank you. Excited to be here. Let me start with a personal question for our listeners, just to understand how you each from very different backgrounds and parts of Canada ended up in the Valley. Laura, let's start with you coming out of Calgary. Coming out of Calgary, Silicon Valley was actually not my first stop. Uh, as you mentioned, I had already been back and forth between other countries in Canada quite a bit before my career took me to New York for this role with the uh, World Economic Forum. And the rest is history. So I worked in startups in New York and made my way to San Francisco for pursuing opportunity. My partner got a job opportunity out here and we wanted to say, hey, let's give the West Coast a try. 
Grew up in Markham, Ontario. I was fortunate to go to a school called Crescent School, and that's essentially where I got uh, fired by a cousin of mine who was two years ahead of me, who left to go to school in the United States. After college, he went into investment banking uh, on Wall Street and really inspired me to kind of pursue that as a first job out of school. And then while my peers went into sort of traditional paths after banking, like business school or hedge funds or private equity, I decided to start a company. And so starting that company brought me from the UK eventually to Silicon Valley, where I raised a bit of money. And this was now 2007. And uh, the rest is kind of kind of history. The company didn't work out, but I joined, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, other successful companies very, very early in their non-obvious days. And, and then that has now translated to investing. And I've basically stayed ever since. Andre, you've worked alongside Canadians at Uber and other companies in the Valley, and now you're investing in Canadian-led companies. Why do you think there's so many Canadians in the Valley? So the one word to sum this up is ambition. Citing sort of a, a blog post by a gentleman by the name of Paul Graham, who is the founder of this accelerator called Y Combinator, there's this notion of cities' ambitions and people's ambitions. And when they align, the probability of success effectively just, just grows for that person's personal ambition. And so, you know, people in the U.S. aim to sort of be the best in the world for whatever they worked on. They had a view of competing with the best globally. At the time when I grew up, it felt like people were in Canada, my peers and classmates were simply competing to be the best in Canada. But when you take a global view, you basically that forces you to go find that place that mirrors your ambition, right? So that you kind of alluded to other industries that Canadians have had an impact in. People come here, whether you're Canadian or not, to compete in tech. It is just where the most ambitious people and the most competition exists. This is no different for Wall Street. And so I think you basically started to see all the ambitious Canadians were just flocking to this place where like all like Silicon Valley's ambition is tech, right? So anyone who wanted to do anything in tech, you were going to find your way here. Laura, for those who don't know the C100, it started 10 years ago, around the time of the Vancouver Olympics. And back then, the founders were inspired by the Own the Podium movement and felt we should also own the Innovation Podium. Can you tell us how the C100 has grown and what you're aiming to do in the years ahead? Well, John, it comes down to the power of people and the power of community. Canadians abroad, which make up somewhere between 2 and 3 million people, could be a really strategic asset for the country. And C100 operates in our corner of that, which you're right, in our last 10 years has been Silicon Valley. It's been about helping Canadian entrepreneurs primarily tap into the immense resources and networks that are available in Silicon Valley. It's also been you know, useful the other way with Canadians abroad here trying to plug in and have impact back home. But it comes down to, we think the world needs more of this. And so C100 has been very effective at helping the entrepreneurship life cycle, helping Canadian entrepreneurs connect to investors, mentors, potential partners and clients. We are immensely curious what could happen if we tried to connect a much broader globe of Canadians everywhere. And our ambition really is to build the preeminent global community of Canadians in tech and to take this model that we have built in Silicon Valley to markets everywhere. So Laura, you mentioned that the world needs this. Why does the world need more Canadians? I think Canadians have so much to offer the world. 
we've been a part of every major global movement, at least over the last century or so. Canadians are ambitious. Um, Andre used that word ambitious. I think sometimes people think that's a bad word. I think it's a great word because Canadians see a world of opportunity and a world that has problems that they have the skills and education and resources to fix. And so you'll see Canadians moving all over the world to try to fix those problems. And Canadian values. So we stand for something that has fundamentally been out of reach of a lot of other societies. We're probably the best example of a pluralistic society. At least I'm I'm not the first person to say that. And one thing that I'm going to actually quote Andre is that when Canadians decide to go big and fix something, they go really big and they go all the way. So if you look at the impact that Canadians have had, it's incredible. To pile onto that, because I'm passionate on this topic, <laughs> I think Canada's most influential export is talent. And to Laura's point, it can be found in various degrees of industries. But when you look deeply at those industries, if it's from entertainment through to tech, like Canadians are literally at the top, the highest grossing producer. I mean, when you are a part of creating a hit, you get patterns. Pattern recognition, having seen something in the past, go to such great scale. And I think scale equals change. And Canadians have produced amazing things at massive scale. I think as a country, we need to claim those people (laughs) and their companies and their impact as ours. They're part of us. They exported our value system, et cetera. And those patterns then can help drive more change, more opportunities, more new startups, et cetera. Laura, what's the advantage for Canada? Is That's great for the Canadians who have gone out, great for the companies they're building, starting, working for in the Valley or elsewhere. Look, I actually think, you know, if you can picture a chart, it depends on how long you stretch out the view of payback and of return on investment, so to speak. It's easy to have a very short-term view. So for example, if you think about a Canadian student who decides to go study abroad, well, then what is the benefit to Canada in five years and in 10 years of having citizens who have spent time abroad, come back home, you know, maybe moved abroad, started a business or started investing, um, helping to open up local markets, establishing deep cultural ties in new markets around the world, bringing business back to home. So I think that it's, of course, my worldview, a worldview of abundance, that Canada exports great people and imports great people. And that if we take a long view, investing in Canadians being globally engaged will pay back for Canada in the form of, of course, new business ties, local market access, investment, etc. It's kind of the mentality of an Israel or Singapore that wants to get its people out into the world because that's how they uh, kind of punch above their weight or, or stay, stay relevant. I want to get your thoughts on how we're doing because this is all great theory. C100 has been in action for a decade, as we were discussing, you produce an annual impact report. And the latest one is great data and insights on our track record. It's kind of like a report card, whether it's on investment or talent. Maybe, Andrea, I can start first on the investment side. The numbers are really impressive. Big increase over the last 10 years, but especially the last five years in VC flows, deal size way bigger. What would you say were the most significant factors in driving that growth? The biggest factor I could point to, which is not directly necessarily correlated, is maybe more perception, but um, having Shopify and its enormous growth and 
you know, win to date is like really important for flows of capital, right? From a few areas. One, you have your early employees who see liquidity and either start companies themselves and or invest and capital goes and attracts to that. And in Silicon Valley, that is what made Silicon Valley really great. There's just so much, call it even diasporas that are flowing through these like unicorn-like companies. Canada now has a massive unicorn. It's going to flow through the ecosystem to produce more inflows of capital and opportunity. And so at the end of the day, these big wins translate to you feeling richer, which then allows you to either start companies or attract dollars or invest dollars. To me, I think we just need more of those wins in order for, for us as a country to feel the real direct impact. So there are a few things that have happened over the last 10 years that I think of, in addition to the things Andre mentioned, have also been major contributors or drivers of the increase in investment. First of all, it comes down to our entrepreneurs. In order to have investment, you need a founder or founders and an ambitious team who are talented enough and passionate enough about a problem to go build it and solve it. And this is happening everywhere. Actually, in C100's early stage uh, mentorship program that we do every year, we have a company out of the Yukon. We've got companies from across literally coast to coast as well. We have a company coming out of Victoria, one from St. John's and one from Whitehorse. The second thing in terms of capital availability, I think that there was one major policy change that happened in 2012, which was an amendment to our capital gains tax rules in Canada that were actually barring a lot of investors in the U.S. from investing in Canada. And once they changed that piece of the tax code, I believe it's section 116 in the, in the federal capital gains tax code. Once they changed that, it really opened up the possibility of people being able to invest LP money into Canadian companies. I will second that because I literally just got off the call with Bill Gurley before this at Benchmark, and he only really took the call because Benchmark is now actively thinking about Canada. He cited Toby might be the next Jeff Bezos, and that's just going to spawn a whole new ecosystem, and all signs are kind of pointing that we should pay attention to it. Toby Luca is the CEO of Shopify, and is kind of like the Drake now of, yeah. of tech, and lots of <laughs> music talent wants to come to Toronto because Drake's here, right? It's, it does. That's a segue to the second thing I was going to mention, which actually is around talent. So Canada has rolled out some meaningful material policy changes on the immigration front that have really opened up the country to become a landing pad for entrepreneurs. So Toby Lutka is the one that you just mentioned. Um, there's a whole generation coming up from behind him. If you look now at global programs like Techstars, and I'll use Techstars as an example because it was founded and run by Canadian expats in Boulder, Colorado, and look at their founder class, they're attracting entrepreneurs from around the world to come to Toronto or Montreal and start a business there. And they are doing so using some very fast-tracked, innovative immigration schemes contrived for exactly this purpose. The third thing that I will mention is that our proximity to the U.S., as much as that gives us the real strategic advantage. And so I think that people moving to Canada to start businesses there it's a real strategic advantage how close it is to the U.S. market, which is still the biggest customer base in the world. There are a lot of things playing together to make Canada a very attractive place to invest. And so when we look at the last 10 years, even if you stripped away 
the fact that it's actually been a very frothy 10 years since the last recession. And we've had more money than ever before being poured into this asset class, which is venture capital. There are a lot of things that have really put Canada on the map. Canada is filled with incredible, diverse talent. So how can we leverage our population, both at home and abroad, to create more global opportunities? How can we funnel more investment dollars back into our economy? Regardless of where you are, the time to start building is now and to think globally. Like Laura mentioned, we need to invest in Canadian ambition. We need talented, passionate founders who think big and follow through to put us on the world map. People like Toby Luca, the founder of Shopify, who know how to win and can provide a roadmap to the next generation of Canadian entrepreneurs. Laura, you were talking about tax policy, and as interesting as tax policy may be to some of our <laughs> listeners, you said something even more interesting to me, which is a white horse firm that's now plugged into the Valley. Tell us more about that story. The company's called Proof. The founder is Ben Sanders. Um, it's a white horse-based software company, actually with the mission of transforming government and helping government re reduce paperwork. And so we're really excited about this company. I want to highlight that one of the things that makes this company really exciting as well is just the support they've had from the ecosystem itself. So angel investors from within Canada, other tech companies as well. And you will recognize the name of the founder because I believe he was actually a co-founder at ClearBank, which is a right now a darling and super high growth, exciting startup out of Toronto as well. What I love about that story is it shows how innovation, you know, very tech savvy innovation can come from anywhere in the country. You don't need to be in the Toronto Waterloo corridor, the lower mainland or part of the Shopify crowd in Ottawa necessarily. You can do it from Whitehorse or Saskatoon or, uh, or St. John's, Newfoundland. I think that's actually a really good point, John. Just to emphasize your point around these smaller cities, because if you actually look at in your comparison to Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley is a really small Place, right? Like we're Facebook, we're Google, Mountain View, Palo Alto. These are very small towns that have now driven massive market cap values and influence over the United States. If you actually look at the biggest outcomes in just business, many of them, these businesses come from small towns. Nike came from Portland. Lululemon from Vancouver. So I, I think actually these small towns is, is arguably where some of the biggest companies uh, generally have come from. I don't want to call Vancouver a small town, but I take your, uh, take, take your point that innovation comes from anywhere. Laura, you talk a lot about global talent and the talent ambitions that Canada needs. The impact report has some very impressive data uh, for Canada. Uh, we are doing incredibly well in terms of attracting international talent through immigration, our universities and colleges, but we still have a lot to work on. What do you think we need to focus on most in the 2020s? Well, you're right. Canada does have a ton to stand on. The momentum is motivating. I will also just recognize that we're doing this podcast in the middle of a global epidemic. The economic fallout from that has been really painful for the innovation sector. This year, we are in a different situation. And so there's been a lot of job loss. The trends are underlying, however, and I want to shed light on some places where we still have some work to do in the Canadian ecosystem. And that comes down to compensation. So Canadian executives earn on average $87,000 US less per year than their American counterparts do. 
And so you're dealing with an industry that is global by nature. The pandemic has actually pushed it forward in some ways compared to other industries in terms of what it can do for talent, where distributed teams are the norm. And so it's possible for a company out of Vancouver or Ottawa or Whitehorse to become the next, you know, global unicorn. What that means, however, for talent is that you got to pay for global talent. And this is holding us back right now. So, but whatever the factor, uh, American firms are wooing Canadian tech executives south of the border where their compensation matches their ambition. How much is the pushback that we're seeing from the Trump administration going to impact that, Laura? We got a notice from the American Immigration Lawyers Association clarifying that Trump's recent peel back of H-1B visas and green cards and L-1 visas, which are, of course, all the different work visas that Canadians and any from and, and people from around the world use to work in the United States. We've just learned that that apparently doesn't apply to Canadians. Anything that highlights that the U.S. is pulling back on immigration is an opportunity for Canada to raise it, its hand and to restate our narrative that we prefer immigration and we see it as a pathway to building our economy and our culture. When I read your report, I was left kind of scratching my head because it clearly shows we have the talent, we have good capital flows, and yet we still struggle to have those 10 Shopify's. What's holding us back from seeing more Canadian founded firms really accelerate their growth? One of the key ingredients is time. And so the Canadian ecosystem is what some people say we're in our teenage years. It takes 40, 60 years to build an ecosystem or another expression is, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. What do they need to be successful? A couple of things. They do need talent and they need customers. And so on the talent front, we've talked about that. Um, you know, you have to be willing to pay to hire the world's best talent. And that talent is often not in their own backyards. Okay, so they're going to have to start recruiting globally for that talent. But the second thing is they need customers. And this has been cited a number of times by, by founders and there's other research out there. A thriving local customer base is one of the best things that helps get companies on the map. In the early days of Silicon Valley, government procurement was a big part of what put some of these companies on the map. The other thing that I'll say is that in the COVID era, there's some indication that purchasing is slowing down. What's the expression? Nobody gets fired for buying from IBM. And so if you think about what that means for a Canadian software challenger, there's a bit of risk that they won't be able to find a really great customer base from within Canada. So that's a call out to our Canadian corporates to step up and to RFP and to buy from Canadian technology companies. And they have to be global. It is difficult to thrive if your focus is exclusively on the Canadian market. And so uh, some of the best Canadian startups and scale-ups are placing offices around the world as well because they need to sell their product to the world. I think that what we need in order to get 10 Shopify's is more pattern recognition. You don't create wins if you have never seen a win before. And unfortunately, Canadians in Canada haven't seen as many wins. Now we have one big win. And as I mentioned earlier, that's going to spawn a bunch of other people who understand how to build another win. We need to recruit people who have seen wins. And this is why founders in Canada sometimes, frankly, just go straight to these top tier in VCs in Silicon Valley. And the only reason is 
they want to talk to someone who has seen a win. What was the what was the early days at Uber? What did that look like? What did the early days at you name your company? But ultimately, pattern recognition and people and talent and investors who've seen wins is who you want to partner with in order to create the, your next win. When people are more comfortable flying again and you get plane loads of entrepreneurs landing in San Francisco, what will your advice be to the next generation of Canadian entrepreneurs when they get to the Valley, Laura? First advice is spend all of your time outside of your hotel. This is one of the only places in the world where no matter where you are, if you're at a taqueria or if you're in the back of a, you know, a lift line, you're going to meet other people in your industry. Second is don't forget to go home and actually put your head down and build the product. <laughs> we need new businesses in this new world. And I want to see those next things come out of Canada. Andre? Again, find people with pattern recognition, the information they know, the problems they solved at various degrees of scale. They've been a part of wins. They've solved problems that the average person has not. And so that's who you want to meet. And, um, uh, you know, basically what they should do is come talk to the C100. <laughs> After speaking with Andre and Laura, I'm excited about the future. Our country holds a wealth of resources and I can't wait to see how we use them to create an advantage post-crisis. From our conversation, I had five key takeaways. Number one, expats are an asset. Canadians in every part of the world have the ability to network and plug our entrepreneurs into their local ecosystems. We need to tap into our diaspora networks to create strategic opportunities that accelerate the growth of our companies and our talent. Number two, seize the moment. Right now, the United States restrictions on immigration are a big opportunity for Canada to attract global talent. It's time to step up and show that in Canada, we do things differently. We value inclusion and we can foster success. Number three, talent attracts capital, but you have to pay the talent. On average, top tier tech executives in the US get paid a lot more than in Canada. And to bring that world-class talent here and keep it here, we need to think about how to match ambition with compensation and ensure that we're not undermining success. That includes our tax system. Number four, buy Canadian. Procurement is a recurring theme on our podcast, and there's never been a better time to support Canadian businesses. Large corporations and governments can invest locally to develop a thriving ecosystem that can compete on the global stage. And number five, Innovation is happening coast to coast to coast. It's not just a Waterloo or Vancouver thing. You can find innovative companies from Whitehorse to St. John's. Canadians are building sustainable and innovative businesses that are solving big problems. Some of the most successful scalable businesses are found in our smallest centers. So wherever you are, don't be afraid to look outside your own backyard. You might see exactly what you're looking for. Canada might be a small fish in a big pond but that doesn't mean we can't swim with the best currents. With the right talent, exposure, and flow of capital, we can build Canadian innovation at home and abroad. It's how we'll create 10 more Shopify's and accelerate our economy's growth. But it's going to take passion, hard work, and a strategic mindset. Something I'd like to think as Canadians, we have in spades. Thank you for listening to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. If you like this episode, 
leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and chat with us on Twitter using the hashtag RBCDisruptors. We'd love to hear your ideas and where you'd like to take the conversation in future episodes. Until next time, I'm John Stackhouse, and this is RBC Disruptors.